0: This show was short at you from the Goblin Broadcast Network, mate. Did we hit yet? Since the earliest times, people have gathered together to tell stories, to share their love for the great characters of old, to hold up the dark mirror of myth in order to see themselves in the light of truth and beauty. Here at the Bear's Grove Podcast, the law is that stories have life, and that our lives are made greater by their inclusion. Here, we support storytelling in all its practices, but most specifically in the form of role-playing. For the next 30 minutes or so, we invite you to claim your place by the fire, sit back and relax, while we seek to entertain, enlighten, and enliven your lives through stories and games. Well, the files are all gathered in place, and the script has been written and it's time for the bear's grove bear's grove number 16 the podcast today we have uh, a couple of good segments i hope to, that you'll enjoy the first uh, bit i want to talk about though is the survey we started last week uh, well i feel i got what i feel is a pretty darn good response on the survey 10 people responded who'd listened to at least one podcast Folks seem to be a bit ambivalent about the old opening, so I'm glad I shorten it by now. They do, however, supposedly like news and notes and promos, so I'm going to keep those in. And it seems as though, for now, the most popular segments have been my GM-centric segment, the storyteller's circle, the bears growl, and the game with me segment, along with romance and gaming. Also, it seems that a couple of people don't want any more sex and gaming segments in the podcast, which is good because I've pretty much covered all I wanted to cover in the segments I've done. However, I reserve the right to put sex in where it's logical and realistically should not be left out. Some of the negative feedback about the sex segment worried very much about the kids and gaming aspect of the Bears Grove in the earlier episodes. Part of the reason why I made the Bears Grove have an explicit rating in iTunes is that I wanted to protect kids from such things that were adult. However, I created the Dragonkin podcast for the purposes of providing that kids and gaming stuff in a podcast that I wish to be marked as clean as it is completely child safe. You can get the Dragonkin podcast at, at @feeds.feedburner.com/dragonkin. So, my every effort in this regard has been towards protection of children and hopefully Providing parents with tools they can use to monitor their kids' media intake. At least as when regarding my podcasts. Next in the news and notes, we have a new feature that we are offering. We're now searchable on the Podzinger uh, website. You go to podzinger.com and you can actually search our the text of our uh, shows. Uh, it's been taken and codified and typed in, I guess. And you can actually go and see if you there's an interesting bit that you don't quite remember, but you want to find out more about it. You can uh, search that section and go right to it. About seven podcasts are up there right now, and hopefully they'll add more. Finally, I'm pleased to announce that you can now enter a virtual world and go to a place where the Bear's Grove exists It is in the confines of Mythic Mush, a a text-based multiplayer game. For more information, check out the show notes. This mush was created out of the auspices of the House of the Harping Monkey website, and Chris Miller is running it. So you might know him from Unquiet Desperation and Shadow Dance and The Round Table and all that sort of thing. So it's a great uh, opportunity for you to come and see what the Bear's Grove looks like and experience it from a text-based point of view and maybe even talk to me and some other people from the Harbing Monkey. The promo this week, I, I haven't been able to find a uh, po- promo on the net about this particular website, but it's more of a website promo than it is a podcast promo. I have begun listening to podio Books. Podio books are uh, kind of reverse released podcasts, where you normally want to listen to the most latest episode of a podcast. A podio book, you listen to the first episode first, and in succession thereafter, um, just like an audiobook. Uh, there are a whole bunch of podio books out on podiobooks.com. I'm currently listening to Seventh Son by from Hutch, who was on the Roundtable podcast last week, and I really uh, didn't know if I would like it very much because I'm not really into that into thrillers and stuff. But it's a really good. It was. It's really drawn me in. I've also been listening to uh, Voices uh, that Mer Lafferty's put together, which is really cool. So. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Now, what hap- what's, what the deal is is they have patio books for for like subscription, and they don't charge you anything at the moment. But you're encouraged to donate, and at least half of all donations are going to go directly to the creators of the patio book, which I think is awesome. So go ahead, go look at the site maybe try a couple of chapters of one of the patio books that looks interesting to you there are a whole bunch from stuff that's in the public domain like anne of green gables to seventh son which is a techno thriller with cloning in it uh to uh all kinds of and also patio book classics that are you know classics now that that uh They've been doing it for a while. Scott Sigler has such a play, such a thing um, there. So basically, check out patiobooks.com and donate if you can, because we want to keep this experiment going. It's a, a really nifty idea. I want to tell you a little bit about the segments we have for you this week. Uh, in the Game With Me segment, I'll talk talk a little bit about romance again. This time I'm going to give you a practical snapshot of how you might put romance into your game. A lot of people seem to be having trouble with the idea of romance in the game as a concept, and I'm trying to provide you with a little more insight as to how you might do that. Then in the Storyteller's Circle, we're going to continue our series about preparing for games by talking about how you as a storyteller or a DM or whatever you want to call yourself, how you prepare yourself so that you can be inspired to bring other people into your vision. So that'll be fun. And then the uh, we'll end up with two segments, the Game Designer's Workbench, where I'm going to go through and talk about the design decisions I made for the city you've been hearing about for the past couple of weeks, Blackpool Blackpool is uh, a fantasy city in my world Kor and I and I wanted to go through like what caused Blackpool to come into being and sort of give you some of my thought processes behind it to help you uh, maybe design your own fantasy city so finally we have feedback and that means it's time to get started I've talked about romance in a lot of different podcasts, but it strikes me based on some feedback I received that I haven't really given a lot of specific examples of how romance has worked in my game yet. So, in this segment, I hope you'll indulge me as I tell you about a few romantic snapshot moments in my stories over the course of time. I'd like to give uh, credit where credit is due Uh, I got the idea of a snapshot moment from Nadi from the Cronecast. She talks about them all the time. And I really like that idea. It's like a little nugget of story. There is Karn Landwaster, who was a barbaric, sort of wild warrior who lived life on the edge, but never thought he'd amount to much as a freebooter. He learned over the course of years that he was the result of a breeding experiment between the race of dragons and the race of humans. A third species that served as a link to both races, and that long-term plans had been put into place to make certain that the dragon child, as he was called, would become the dragon knight, a dragon rider. Someone who was sworn to protect both his species and the race of peaceful dragons in the world as well. There was a terrible shadowy dragon demigod in the world, a black ash dragon named Solfar and it was soon clear that Karn would be called to do battle with this great and powerful creature. He was introduced to the dragon who had been training all her life to be his mount, Mirloon, and he immediately fell in love with her. Now, Karn was from a gold dragon family, and Mirloon was from a silver dragon family, but in and I, your metal, your color or your metal or whatever you are really has nothing to do with your powers or your alignment or anything. It's just part of your family resemblance, so... uh, I don't want people to be reading that into it. But anyway, we're going to go ahead. The snapshot moment came when, locked in a moment of tender embrace, both dragonkind man and dragon made the choice to pursue Solfar past the highest heights, thereby passing beyond the life-giving air of the world. Their lasting love fueled their self-sacrifice. They knew that Sulfar would continue to be a danger forever if he wor- weren't dealt with completely. So, whispering words of love, devotion, and eternal attachment, the two heroes transformed into a column of pure light and pierced the great shadow moon where Sulfar had gone to hide, thereby piercing the dragon all the way through and dealing him a death as a side note, and to put that story into context, the player had not known when he had started the series of games that he was a dragon child. That was revealed slowly over the course of many games. The silver dragon Merloon was an NPC character. It was curious that Karn Landwaster was also intrigued by and attracted to the Lady Astor Stanford, another mountain barbarian woman in the group, who was played by one of, our, one of the women in our game group. The player for Karn and the player for Aster clearly had an, a romantic thing going on in real life, but chose not to go in that direction with their characters for whatever reason. So Miralune, NPC though she was, got, got Karn's heart. The whole story of Karn was this hometown man-makes-good kind of story coupled with the foolish person grows up and becomes not-so-foolish angle. Uh, and by the way, in my world, there's, there is a star that you can sort of set your navigation by. It's called Karn Star, and it is formed in the light that uh, was generated when they transformed into light to, to kill uh, Sulfar. Another snapshot moment was when Valmont and Greeny met each other again after being apart for many years. Okay, a bit about Valmont first. During a terrible Lunargenti interregnum, when a triumvirate of decadent and power-mad dukes had forged an unholy alliance to maintain power over the throne, the practice of binding and using that what were called at the time spell thralls became commonplace. Spell thralls were those with sorcerous power, latent in their blood, who could have that power channeled through the use of a thrall collar with a special colored stone embedded in it. The stone allowed the one who wore a thrall crown to direct the movements of the wearers and as well compel them to use their magic. A watch program and a countrywide sweep of the lands on a regular basis for those with sorcerous power resulted in far too many orphaned weirdlings, children with magical power but with no knowledge of how best to use their powers. They were trained alongside the shock troops of the Lunargenti war duke, so they could fight. Through trickery, Valmont managed to get both he and Verdant, she called him she called herself Greenie, out of the thrall collars and escape. In the countryside They fell into each other's arms and confessed an undying devotion and love each to the other. But they were separated by the royalist underground and spirited out of the country so they could not be recaptured and used by triumvirate forces. Valmont thought he would never again see her as he had been sent to the far eastern lands and the terrible mountains, and she had been sent south For the thick jungles of Chang. The look on the player who played Valmont's face when he first laid eyes again on Greenie was priceless. Valmont then knew that the love they had shared when they were thralls was the only thing that had kept him sane during that time. But what he had not counted on was ever seeing Greenie again. It was bittersweet because Greenie had found him as a result of some songs bards had begun singing about him and now he was involved in a conflict too deep to ignore and abandoned for Greeny who just wanted to stop being a mercenary and settle down with Valmont somewhere. He had already seen and heard too much in the world to ignore what was going on in the greater situation. He couldn't abandon his journey. He wasn't cut out to settle down with anyone as well. Valmont had to regretfully leave Greenie behind. Interestingly enough, Valmont experienced a kind of flashback after Greeny came to offer him surcease from his journey. As a result, he actually went a little insane. He went out and committed unadulterated murder on one of the old Triune war leaders who had happened to be in town at the time. This started a story arc that led Valmont down a path into deepest madness and darkness. I think that the player for Valmont was touched that this NPC, Greeny, had been created to give him a love interest. It was more in keeping with his character. After all, he was named after the daring rogue in the movie of the same name, obviously. Up until that point... The only kind of romance that took place with Valmont involved, however, was raw animal passion exercises with Calla Stanford. There's that name again, yep. They're all part of the same family. Strictly as a result of being shot at and surviving. The wrinkle to that was that Calla Stanford was Valmont's wife in real life. I think Calla's player was a bit more jealous of Greenie than Kala the character was, though. How can you be jealous of an NPC? Well, you can, believe me. And then there was the time Valmont tried to seduce a vampire woman in a brothel in Blackpool and ended up having to use Dimension Door to get out of the bedroom, but we won't go too far into that one. The story of Valmont was one of bitterness, anger, loss, and wanted retribution, while at the same time Valmont was dead set on helping out those he cared about. I'll have more snapshot romantic moments in future podcasts. In part two of what has become a little series, I'm going to continue to go over the kind of things I do to prepare for a game. Last week, we talked about an agreement with your players about how you'll play, the logistics of it, and the etiquette of it. Now, I'm going to ask you to think about what you're doing and what you're going to do for your players. I do these things. I think they're vital. The players are folks from the real world. As a result, they have a lot of reality poisoning. Reality has beset them. They're going to take some work before they can get they can follow you into the vision you can imagine in order for them to immerse themselves in the setting of the game you will need to immerse yourself deeper how do you do this by surrounding yourself with input that fires your imagination books movies music podcasts dramatic performances what have you and make it pertinent to the topic at hand if you're doing a pirate adventure you'd best have pirate movies in your Netflix queue. If you're doing a romantic comedy action-adventure-horror-modern story, Buffy better be on your DVD player. If you're doing a story about ragtag fugitives and bandits sneaking around a far-future science fiction universe, then you'll need to purchase the Serenity Movie soundtrack, and perhaps the Firefly TV soundtrack uh, as well. But those are just the obvious choices, and the point here is not to limit yourself or be obvious. Watch Dangerous Liaisons in order to see the workings of a master strategist for a vampire game. Listen to the Master and Commander soundtrack to get ideas for how your fantasy war campaign might feel and sound. Read Winter's Tale by Mark Helprin for ideas about how to do an urban fantasy. Immerse yourself in beautiful, passionate, intense, and amazing stories and media that make you feel something, and that stir your imagination. This is where you get all weird and smile to yourself and stare off into the middle distance. This is where other people might look at you and think you're a loony. But this is preparation. You have to be willing to do the prep work, to prep your soul and your imagination, so that when you're in the midst of the game, you don't forget that there is great beauty to be had in the turn of a great phrase the setting of a wonderful scene, and you can bring that to your game. In fact, if you can be a total geek and memorize a section of dialogue and speak it back to yourself and hear the cadence and the tone and the timbre of it, internalize it, then you too can touch some of that greatness and bring it to the words and phrases of your game. You all got on this boat for different reasons. You all come to the same place. So now I'm asking more of you than I have before. Maybe all. Sure as I know anything, I know this. They will try again. Maybe on another world. Maybe on this very ground swept clean. A year from now. Ten. They'll swing back to the belief that they can make people better. And I do not hold to that. So no more running. I aim to misbehave. I also recommend taking a long, hot shower before a game session. In the shower, your mind is receiving so much noise input from the sensation of the water on your body that your brain, in an effort to bring clarity, will turn inward. You'll start to think, and if you let your creativity go, ideas will start forming and bubbling up to the surface. Don't try to write anything down while you're in the shower, and forget about taking your laptop in there with you. In fact, I think that one of the reasons why showers are so great for creative ideas is that your inner child knows you can't write anything down while you're soaking wet. So it lets go with one or two more creative nuggets than it would normally allow. So that's it. That's what I have for you. Besides all of the other organizational work you're going to do, and all the research you're going to do and all the tailoring or just raw creation of the setting that you're going to do, you've got to do this as well. Go forth and roll around in your idea. Immerse yourself in it. Take it in. Breathe it. Make it your own. Become excited and enthusiastic and surprise even yourself at the depth you're in. Because that's how you're going to lead folks into your dream and help them leave behind their troubles for two to six hours every other Saturday night. Next up is the Game Designer's Workbench. Hi, I'm Caroline. I'm Jeff. And I'm Sasha. We're the Mad Three from Game of the Podcasting. And you're listening to the Bears Grove Podcast, where great stories take on the life of their own. I wanted to take you behind the scenes a bit in the city of Blackpool. Frequent listeners to the podcast will remember the last two podcasts where uh, you got to go and visit Blackpool through the eyes of various uh, characters. I uh, wanted to give you some insight into the design of the city. And uh, to start out with, I'm not embarrassed to say that Blackpool was a city designed by an eight year old. That's right. The city first shows up on a map of Koronai I drew when I was eight. Back then, I had no idea what kind of city it was. I was just drawing a funky map on a large piece of grid paper. But over time, the city emerged out of the mists. First of all, it was just a trading outpost where E. Pluribus Merchant had set up his carts of goodies for adventurers to buy, the classic D&D dungeon crawl refuge. Since then, the city has been raised and redesigned from scratch several times. Its latest incarnation has attempted to be the most realistically and logically occurring one. Instead of a city that was just going to serve as a base camp for adventurers, I had to come up with a city that wasn't in and of itself a place where adventures could happen. Now, that idea comes from the fact that Silken Moonlight, which, by the way, all my story series have a ...short, catchy little titles so I can get them apart. Uh, this is in part due to the fact that they slide up and down the timeline in continuity for Kor and I. So, Silk and Moonlight is in the past, while Ravenflight is in the future of the same timeline. Uh, Rose and Crown is in a story in a parallel timeline, but separate fork in the time stream, as is Stars and Garters, which is no longer part of any time stream, thankfully, as that series dealt with near-total annihilation of life as we know it. Now, I digress. Uh, Silken Moonlight is a c- city story series. It's about things that happen in a city, and about Sanji, a beautiful catson who is a fiery, independent, outside of the structure of catson society, and yet somehow entwined with it. And it's about a young Terra the bard, who has just received her master's ranking and is coping with having to take an apprentice. The plots are based in the city, and the city has to be large enough to be believable without being so large as to be ridiculous. Even if occasionally they do wander outside the city, much to Sanji's absolute distaste, the city is the focus. So, the way I do this is by creating districts. I certainly don't have time to sit down and draw out every single street, nor would I want to. Not only would that be time-consuming and tedious, but it would also lock me in very tightly and prevent me from being able to open up new scenery for stories. So instead, we have districts. And it's easy then to give districts commonly held names. Names that evoke what you're going to find in those districts. Names like Goldhaven, Miranville, Sweet Jasmine, The Diplomate, Temple Row, Little Kashan. Kind of like Little Tokyo. Little Kashan is a smaller version of Big Kashan, which is in Chang, my Asian area. The Red Light District is called the Street of the Red Lanterns. The Mercenary District is the Street of Swords, kind of a prosaic name, but then again soldiers are a prosaic bunch. The bad part of town is called the Butcher's Block, definitely a play on words there, and also hearkening back to the Meatpacking District in in New York City. The concept of slaughterhouses and carry-on is not far from this area, and it's a nasty place to go. The worst of the worst. Once named, I can start figuring out their character. I can give them locations that I definitely know are in that district. For example, the Merchants Guildhouse is on the Street of the Three Ponds, which is the district most concerned with business, central to the city. So if you want to get business done, this is where you go. I place the City Hall uh, in another location, in Goldhaven, where it's pretty high class. Sure, I will not avoid doing what every Dungeons & Dragons city designer has done just about and figure out where the adventurers are going to go to get their stuff. In fact, I give them several different choices to go get stuff. You can go to the prosaic Street of Swords to get prosaic weaponry. Or, you can go to Miranville to get really expensive, but high-quality weaponry. Or, if you're Lunar Genti and you want a flippy little foil to fight with, you'll probably want to visit the shop named Brandishment and Debauchery in Sweet Jasmine, Perhaps one of my favorite shop names of all time. If you need magical stuff, well, you're going to go to Star Moon. If you can get past the guards and register at Star Moon House as a bona fide magic worker, then you can have access to things common folk don't get access to. Alchemical equipment, labs for rent, specially warded hotel rooms. Star Moon is a home to at least three archmagi, and they look after the place So there's very little crime. Anyway, the city itself is like a microcosm of the world as a whole. There are districts based on countries and ethnicities, as well as purely practical districts. There's even one completely frilly district you've heard about already, the Mirror Pond area, where there are quaint little cafes and a few specialty shops and a real live druid-tended garden for everyone to enjoy. And plenty of bards and musicians and dancers to busk and provide plot hooks. In my mind, Blackpool was meant to be the New York City of my world. Embracing all, turning away none with coin, looking the other way if need be, the saints and the sinners, the beggars and the rich men, all bumping into each other and rubbing shoulders in a city that may have been captured a few times and burnt to the ground a few times but has always risen phoenix-like from the ashes, because if there wasn't a Blackpool, it would have to be invented. Blackpool is the big city. Another city in my world, Jasquan, is pretty big too, but it's more based on Paris, France, than anything else. Still, another town, Irontown, is a border town in the far northern reaches. Each of these areas have their own feel and their own central concept. So, I start from the basis of the idea. What is this place supposed to do? What is it supposed to be? And then work outward from there. Design only that which you must have for your setting. Leave holes. Fill in the holes as you go. But the physical layout and look and feel of the city has nothing to do with its politics, which are based on several different factions, each trying to stay alive and make a living, and better the other. I used a grid work to design those factions, and it is occasionally hard to keep track of where they all are now. But I started the political structure with the mayor's office, and made a skeleton of burgomasters who each rule over separate districts. And then there's the city fathers' council, which represents all the major landowners in the city, and then there's the organizations who exist in the city, the circle, which nobody really knows much about, the Changian Yakuza The Honorable Old Masters or Half-Orc Mafia, whatever you want to call them. The Envoys from World Governments and the Diplomate. The Silky Underbelly of the Red Light District, the Mother's Tea Society. Star Moon. The Hidden Wheels Within Wheels in the Changian and Mishkin Districts. The Secret Rabbit Warren of Boons and Feuds that is Temple Row. So small that every temple is jammed up against every other temple because the mayor doesn't see religion as benefiting commerce very much. It quickly gets very complicated, and the more stories that are told in Blackpool, the more complicated it will get, and I like it that way. Uh, There's a lot I haven't talked about. I still haven't spoken about the Blackpool Underground, and there's a couple of other things, but I've got to leave something for future published works, and I've already gone on a bit too long. Next up, we have our feedback section. Hi, I'm Paul Tevis from Have Games Will Travel, and this is the Gaming Podcast Network. I got some feedback last week that last week's podcast seemed kind of bare without the music. So I brought the music back this time. I hope you like it. Uh, Only I decided just to stay with one particular little string dub groove and uh, hopefully that'll be nice for you. But I got no answers to my feedback question last week, and that was kind of depressing, but I'll somehow (laughs) go on. Oh, not really. I was fake crying. So now I'm going to ask you a new feedback question, but if you want to uh, catch up and answer both the feedback questions that are outstanding, you're uh, welcome to do so. The feedback question for this week is... What is the most imagination-inspiring music you've ever heard? It's best if you can give us artist and title, but I'll take anything. And so, you've come to the end of another Bears Grove. Congratulations. The Bears Grove is brought to you through a Creative Commons license 2.0. Attribution, no derivatives, no commercial use. Music for this... Podcast is provided by music.podshow.com. The uh, Bears Grove is part of many, many, perhaps far too many podcast networks, but the ones that we are uh, particularly proud of are the Gaming Podcast Network, uh, the Gaming Broadcast Network, Q Potter, and the Proud Pagan Podcasters Network. And feedback is very important to us here at the Bears Grove. If you would like to give us your feedback, you can send an audio file, an MP3 or WAVE, that's either way, uh, to us at bearsgrove at gmail.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 206-888-2327. You can leave us comments at the show blog at bearsgrove.blogspot.com. You can place yourself and send us a shout out at our frapper map at frapper.com/bearsgrove. You can participate in our online forum at thegamingpodcastnetwork.com. If you enjoyed the podcast and you want to help spread the word and keep the podcast going, you've got a few options. First, you can tell a friend about us. That's sometimes the best way to get new listeners. Second, you can vote for us at Podcast Alley or make us a favorite at Podcast Pickle Or third, you can hit the donate button on the website This podcast is hosted by Libsyn, and lately, because of the frequency of the podcast, I'm having to bump my subscription up a level to accommodate them I'd really appreciate anything you could do to help offset that but it's certainly not a requirement The Bears Grove is a labor of love I only hope you enjoy it and keep coming back to listen to it Until next time, sweet dreams when you get them.